Avoiding high-stakes conversations costs organizations time and money. In your personal life, they cost you trust and happiness. So don't avoid high-stakes conversations. They can be difficult, but there's always a way to get started. Whether it's about confronting a rude or disrespectful colleague, failing to speak up when proposals or your organization strategies don't make sense, or not getting clarification when people feel uncertain about their roles, responsibilities, and timelines in business. I'm Michael Hayward, host of Coach on Your Shoulder, a podcast where we speak with executive coaches about their practice and how they help their clients solve challenges like yours. This week, we're speaking with Palka Korstens of The Investment Mindset about how to approach challenging conversations in business. Okay, we're here with Palka Korstens of The Investment Mindset. Hi, Palka. Hey, Michael. How are you today? Doing well, thank you. Let's talk a little bit about your coaching practice to get started. Your coaching practice, The Investment Mindset. Now, for some, that might be an unusual name for a coaching practice, but I have a feeling this is a different type of investment. Tell me a little bit about how you got started and what your vision is for your coaching practice. Yeah, that's a very good question, Michael, and it's indeed an unusual name. It sparks a lot of curiosity when I say I started the investment mindset, because people initially often think about something that has to do with financials. And this actually has to do with really investing in yourself. Investing in yourself is not selfish. It's really to feel good about what we're doing every day. And also everything we invest into ourselves benefits others. I have numerous examples over the course of my career when by investing in myself, my team benefited, my partner benefited, my kids benefited. That's what I would like to inspire people to do, to invest in themselves and enjoy life. I think we often underinvest in ourselves. We forget about the return on investment that comes from that. So I think that's a terrific idea, a terrific approach. Who specifically are you trying to help? Where do you spend the most of your coaching time? The majority of my time I spent with startup founders and I spent time with people that are in their 40s, 50s. They have been very successful over their course of their career. And it's now really about how do I finish my career strong? How do I get a couple more promotions? How do I find better balance in life and really move from focusing on the ambition to focusing on aspiration. Those are the people I work with. Great. Now, you've done a lot of things in your career. You're not a career coach, right? You came to this relatively later in your career. What led you to want to be a coach? I started my career at Bain & Company in strategy consulting. I was always intrigued by people processes and helping companies do better. And then I moved to consumer tech and retail. And I spent 20 years working with both very large retailers like Walmart or Argos in the UK, and also with startups or outgrown startups like Wayfair or Groupon, being a VP of merchandising, running a business, but also leading really big 
transformations like the digital transformation for Walmart Mexico and transformations for Groupon and Argos. And what led me to it is there's nothing better than putting a smile on people's faces. And that really happens when you're able to help people get to something where they can't go by themselves and really helping them get the best out of themselves and winning somebody over or achieving something that was at stake and something that they really desire and is hard to get to. That's terrific. I think it's a great segue to our conversation today, which is about high stakes conversations, right? We all face, whether in our career or in our family or in our community, moments where we need to have difficult or challenging or risky conversations with other people. From your perspective, how do you define high stakes conversations? What's that all about? High stakes conversations for me are conversations where there's something at stake. What you say and how you show up defines what will happen after. Mm-hmm. And we do not always realize it, but we have high stakes conversations all the time. If you have a one-on-one with your boss every other week, that can be a high stakes conversation because you're leaving an impression, you're asking for things that matter to you. And then, of course, the natural high-stake conversations is when people are negotiating contracts with new customers, when they're negotiating job offers, when they're asking for a promotion. But anything where there is a lot of emotion involved, it can be positive and negative, where the outcome really matters to you is a high-stakes conversation. Yeah. If there's a consequence, whether that's a good consequence for you or a bad consequence for you, you suddenly get a different type of emotion, whether that's anxiety or excitement or fear, however you might describe it, right? You get a sudden urge to not be yourself. Some of your calm demeanor goes away and suddenly you feel like you're stumbling over your words. Am I getting it right? It's it's those situations where you feel awkward or it's an unfamiliar conversation and you tend to get a little sweaty in the palms or dry in the mouth or something like that when you even think about having that conversation. I think that's correct. And you made me think it's really all the conversations where it's really important to be your authentic self and conversations in which you have to ask for something and you maybe also need to give something. And there is some emotion. Yeah. And it can be a lot of emotion. It's funny, we get good at haggling a negotiation at a market or something like that, but we get very scared when we have to negotiate for something that's meaningful in our lives. Okay, so high-stakes conversations can happen in lots of different places. We already started to understand that these can be work conversations, personal conversations, or others. When you're coaching, is there a particular type of high-stakes conversation that you find yourself helping people with? As I mentioned, I work a lot with startups and conversations between co-founders are often high stakes conversations because a startup is something that's created and that we feel very proud of. And as human beings, we all have the same needs, but we may come at it from different angles. Okay. 
And that sometimes results to miscommunication or people not feeling their needs are being met or wanting something or thinking that something is the best for their business. And, and therefore, those conversations are really important. And I support people a lot with those conversations to really form a strong team of co-founders. Mm-hmm. And I also work a lot with senior leaders as they are working on improving their leadership style, working with their bosses and senior stakeholders to really present themselves best. Those are the two conversations I focus on most. How did people come to the realization that a coach would help them with this? I have a feeling that a lot of people struggle and fail thinking that these conversations are things that they have to do on their own and never really think about the possibility that you could get help. I think that's a challenge. A lot of people are having high stakes conversations and they're not realizing it. And therefore, they don't always seek help. The way I think about it, there are some people that are incredibly good at preparing for high stakes conversations. But when they spend a little bit of time during the prep phase with a sounding board, they will always do better. Some people dread it and do a really poor job preparing and really need a sounding board. And otherwise, they really lose out. And people come to me mostly through referrals Mm -hmm. because they're talking to friends and they're talking about a difficult conversation that they're dealing with or talking to somebody else in their network. And then the other person suggests, hey, why don't you talk to Pauke? She's good Mm -hmm. at this Mm -hmm. and you will get a lot of value out of it. And that's when we start working together. Those referrals come from friends and family, or is it the investor in the business? If you think about the founder of a business, they may have some investment partners and so on. Who tends to see that first? Is it the founder themselves, or is it somebody in the family who's dealing with them, who knows you and refers them? (laughs) It often comes from friends and family, because when something is really close to our heart and dear to us, the first person Mm -hmm. that we talk to is somebody we trust, which are friends and family. Okay. And that's where the referrals mostly come from. Okay. Let's maybe walk through a couple of examples. It's good to know the general case. You're talking to your partner, you're talking to a friend that you trust, and that friend says, okay, you need some support. I recently have been working with a co-founder of a startup. And to grow the business, they need more investment. They had a proposal on the table of an investment bank to help them with raising funding. And he thought it would be a really good idea to work with this investment bank because when they work with them, they can get access to new sources of funding. They were looking for a big strategic investor to come in as well. He could do some of that work himself, but it was taking away a lot of his time on focusing on growing the business and bringing in new clients. And the way the agreement was structured, it was based on a success rate, so If the investment bank wouldn't bring in any new funding, there would be no loss for them. His co-founder had a really hard time understanding why this was the right thing to do. And there was a lot of fear from his co-founder to giving up control in the business. We had numerous conversations about this topic to see how can you really get your co-founder on board and how do you approach them? And how can you help with taking away that fear? So that makes sense that there's a conversation that needs to happen. I need to convince my partner, my co-founder, of something that we need to do. And that partner has fear, has a fear of, of making this change. 
mm-hmm. straightforward. And yes. I bet that comes up quite commonly, right? One, one founder or one leader has this, I want to do this. And the other person says, I don't want to do this. And how do you come to some sort of agreement about it? So how do you assess the abilities of the person who wants this outcome to happen or this, this new deal or agreement to happen? How do you assess their abilities to help them figure out, here's what you're going to have to do to convince your partner, if your partner can be convinced? Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of coaching. It doesn't really matter what are the abilities of my client to solve the problem. What really matters is that the client and I work together to really understand what the situation is, to really understand what the emotions are of the other party, and learning how to empathize with the other person. Okay. So that's the first thing that they need to learn. How many people have trouble with empathy in your experience? Sharing empathy can be very difficult because Mm -hmm. there can be roadblocks in a person themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that's where I come in as the coach to create a really safe environment where people can be truly themselves and practice with articulating that. So we Mm -hmm. do some role plays and we help them practice to say what they want to say. Mm-hmm. Or I demo it for them. And then I ask them, how does that sound? How can you say that in your own words? Mm-hmm. And that has worked well. Role-playing is an interesting approach to this. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what I'm thinking here. There are some people, and I may have met a few of them where I'd call them type A achievers, who have a very hard time understanding what empathy actually is. When they're faced with a situation where a person on the other side doesn't want to do what they want them to do. I've run into a few people who think that's a failure of the other person and not an opportunity for them to learn. And the way you described it, I'm thinking, oh, a role-playing experience where a person has to put themselves in the other person's shoes for a moment and try to decode what are they thinking and why are they thinking this? Why are they resisting this thing? What could it be? And it's not that the other person's an idiot. It's that they just have a different set of motivations. How do you work a role play like that? Like what would you step a person through? How do you get them to think, especially if they're not used to this, about what's going on in the other person's mind? So when I do a role play with somebody, I ask them, describe your co-founder briefly. What's his or her name? What are they really excited about? What's really important to them? So it's almost an indirect way where you are requiring the other person to really empathize because through that dialogue they need to read the emotions of the other person and then i usually also have a gist for what the cultural background of the person is they're working with which is important because depending on their cultural background they may respond in different ways and i ask them how they often respond and then we get going and my client plays him or herself and i play their co-founder, and we start to dialogue. And it's just amazing having that conversation and actually playing a situation, even though it may look different from how the real conversation is going to look, how it allows the client to really understand the situation and it forces them to go deeper and to really empathize with the person that they're going to have the high stakes conversation with. Do you find that one role play is enough or does this take multiple attempts? 
What we do after the first round, I ask the client, what did you like about this? And what do you want to do differently? Then we play it another time. Sometimes the client asks me to provide some suggestions what I would have said, which I do if asked. And they just take a lot of notes. It's almost like playing the game before you play the actual game. Okay. And if you have had a chance to do a tryout, your real game is always going to be better. Mm-hmm. How exactly it's going to be better depends on the moment. But just having had that tryout opportunity is of amazing value. I'd agree with that. As you're describing it, I think of practicing for a presentation in front of a large audience or a small audience, right? Because that's another high stakes situation. But the more you practice, the more comfortable you are with the material that you're going to cover and the way you're going to present it, the less likely you are to let stage fright or momentary challenges get in your way because your comfort level goes way up. You've already pre-processed a lot of the upfront emotions, whether that's fear or trust or discomfort about something about it. And so I can imagine that in the same way with a conversation, if you've already had the conversation a few times in a practice scenario, it's potentially much easier at least to get started on that conversation in the real scenario. And you bring up a really important point because... (laughs) You said it's not only about what you're saying in the conversation, but you have had a chance to experience your own emotions that you're going to have in the conversation. And that's usually where we go next with the client. Mm. And it is discussing their emotions. It's like, how did you feel? What made you feel that way? And how can you cope with that emotion so that during the conversation, you can hold it and you can contain it? And you can truly say what you want to say. Mm -hmm. And because if the role play doesn't go well, that happens because there is so much emotion that it's not possible for the person to truly communicate what they want to communicate. Okay, so you've done role playing and the client is going to have this conversation. How do you prepare them for the possibility that the real conversation doesn't go the same way as your role playing went? That's a very good question. The first thing I do after we've had the role play is making it very tactical and saying, hey, when is your conversation going to be? What do you have planned that day? And almost try to get the client into the space of the day when they're going to have that conversation. How are you going to go in? Are you fully ready? What time is your conversation? Sometimes the time for the conversation hasn't been set. So I ask them, what time of the day are you performing best? Influence the situation. Sometimes it's in person. Sometimes it's over Zoom. Is it better in the morning, in the afternoon? And just how you are asking me the question, I asked the client the question, how ready do you feel? Mm -hmm. What is missing for you to be fully ready for the conversation? So a client answers that question. We've gone through it. What could be the possible outcomes? You always need to be ready for winning and losing. You never know if you're going to win or you're going to lose. And I think I use a few analogies that will resonate with the client to get them in that frame of mind to be ready for both winning and for losing. 
And I think that's an important realization. As you were describing it, I realized in your example, you've got two founders and they may have different perspectives on what's the right next step financially for their business. And you're coaching one to say, I want it to go this way. I want to hire this investment bank. What if that's not the right answer? How do you prepare for the possibility that the position that you're trying to put forward in this conversation might not actually be the best thing to do? I, I will tell you that in previous conversations and in my own practice, I often reference what's behind door number three. Have you really thought about all of the possible solutions to a problem? We have a tendency in our own decision-making, just as a behavioral way of making decisions, which is once we get on a track of this is the solution I want to prefer, then I systematically ignore all the evidence that doesn't support that one position. And so how do you keep an open mind at the same time as you're coaching somebody to put their point across effectively. So I really like that you bring that up, Michael, because it's really important that we always maintain an open and curious mind. The best way for me preparing a client for that is teaching them coaching skills and having a couple of really good questions in their back pockets. Because if a conversation takes a turn to an area that we had not anticipated, We need to pause and we need to switch to questioning to understand where the other person is coming from. The beauty is in business conversations, which is very different from sports, is that we can have a second conversation, we can have a third conversation. So Mm -hmm. if a conversation takes a turn, the most important thing is to end it well in a way that you set yourself up for a follow-up conversation and to focus on gathering information versus pushing for the thing that you want to achieve. That's my recommendation. Yeah, I think that's essential. And we often get so fixed on the one outcome that we think is the right thing to do that we forget to ask questions and keep an open mind. And ask questions and understand what the needs are of the other party and really go back to creating a good inventorization of their needs and your needs, because then you can go back to the drawing board and come up with different strategies. And if a client is really versed at doing this, they can even do that in the moment. And what they also can do is they can express their needs and where they were coming from. They can also articulate what they notice were the needs of the other party. And they can say, hey, this is a challenge that we're really facing. How do we Mm -hmm. solve this together? If that happens, you are really dealing with somebody that is very versed in having high stakes conversations. Right. It makes me think about a possibility that we make assumptions going into these high stake conversations that we're aligned about the outcome. So, in the example you used, you got two founders, and we'll assume that the one that you were working with had this position that growing the business a certain way was necessary, and therefore bringing an investment bank to find investors was a necessary step to achieve that outcome. Do you find that it happens that these conversations lead to other conversations that aren't about the how do we get there, but the where are we going? What's the actual outcome we're trying to do here? because maybe we're not as aligned as we thought we were on Mm -hmm. where this business is supposed to go. 
that does happen sometimes. And it does happen to me that I learn that the other person has a certain need mm -hmm. that they hadn't articulated before. And once I understand the need of the other person, we can jointly come up with different strategies. And, and we didn't discuss this prior in any high-stake conversation. The empathizing also gives you an opportunity to show curiosity and ask questions to make your ask better in the moment and to come up with a better strategy in the moment. And the world is changing so quickly. Things are changing all the time. We always need to adapt to new information to come up with the best possible outcome for both parties and to make this truly a win situation for both parties. I think topic for another conversation could be the idea that over time, when we're running a small business or a medium-sized business, we get so focused on the business we're running, we forget to think about the evolution of our own personal needs and our own objectives for what I want this business to be as a lifestyle and for my family and am I what am I trying to create here. Mm -hmm. We forget to have those conversations from time to time. We just assume we all want the same thing. And so it strikes me that having a way to surface periodically what do you want out of this? Are we all aligned on what we want to get from this? Or should we re-examine our outcomes so that we can have a conversation about what's the best way to get there? Those conversations don't seem to happen often enough. And then that's multiplied by the fact that our expectations sometimes change as we move through stages of life. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you're bringing this up because it really goes back to the core of what the investment mindset is about, which is about continuously investing in yourself and also investing in your business and understanding what's best. And as the world moves, what's best for you and best for your business changes. Mm -hmm. And it's very important for us as human beings to develop a practice in which we, on a regular basis, reevaluate where we're going. Right. And sometimes I use this mantra, life is a roller coaster and don't hold on too tight. <laughs> and I, I think that's exactly what you're referring to. Absolutely. So that should be a good conversation for us to have in a future episode. Thank you very much for this great insight into uh, how we approach high stakes conversations. I think it would be an excellent idea for anybody who feels like they have a conversation coming up that makes them nervous or that they feel frustrated about something to really think about the idea of getting some outside help and an objective viewpoint to practice and review to see how they can get the best outcome. So this has been very helpful for that. Michael, thank you so much for having this conversation together. And my final word of wisdom that I would say is no matter what the outcome of the conversation is, close the conversation with some gratitude for the other person. Because both people invested heavily in having the conversation. And whether it's a good conversation or a conversation that ends in a point where you didn't anticipate it to go, which may evoke positive or negative emotions, just express your gratitude to the other person because that will make it easier to start the next conversation. Yeah, that's a fabulous way to wrap up. We need to be grateful, not only that we could have the conversation, but that the other person had the conversation too and was willing to engage. Okay, thanks very much, Pauka, and uh, we'll look forward to a future discussion with you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you.
You've been listening to Coach on Your Shoulder. I'm Michael Hayward. Coach on Your Shoulder is a weekly podcast that you can subscribe to in all the finest podcast outlets. Coach on Your Shoulder is co-produced by Melissa Simmons of Luminology. If you have questions about finding a coach or how you can get the most of a coaching relationship, drop us a line. We always love to hear from listeners like you.